leading us there. I want to conclude a little bit of business that Adam started. Those little white pieces of paper, the white harvest, the most important thing you can turn in today. Uh, so I need to do that now. I need to do that now. You need to pass those back in now because next week we're actually going to start our white harvest groups and we need to put you in formation. So as uh, much time as it takes, I need you to fill those out now and get those in. When you come back next week after sermon, we're going to put you into a group. You'll have your new white harvest groups to discuss the sermon discuss the things that happened this week, to pray for each other, to learn about life with each other. And that's going to happen every week after sermon. So we need you to pass those in. Very critical you pass those in. Um, and as the weeks develop, you'll understand the importance of those white harvest groups and why it's so critical that you connect with other people in this body, inside the church, inside this group that God has put you in. It is not something for you guys to some, come sit here in your chair and then leave Sunday. You're here to be part of a body, to be an integral part of this body, and wait for us to love you and care about you and for you to be cared for. One of the main ways is through this White Harvest Group. So you have to turn those back in, and uh, we'll keep going through that week after week until we get everyone into a group. Okay. Did anyone not turn in those pieces of paper? I'm going to stay here until everyone turns in. Everyone turned in a piece of paper. Everyone did it. You have a choice. Either go to Kevin Eccles Sunday School in Hebrews, or go to that White Harvest Group. Very important. Okay. To get you back up to speed where we're at now, all summer long, uh, through July, through August, we went through a series of discipleship. Uh, we had my discipler come in from high school, my discipler come in from college. Uh, Adam's father spoke as a discipler. Adam and I got a chance to lead you through discipleship. That took two months to get through discipleship and learn what it is to be models of what Christ did, how Christ modeled discipleship for us and how we should follow him. So really the focus on Christ, the last two months, being able to go through that. Every Sunday when I come up, I like to bring you up to date what's been happening in our church family. So this uh, happened on Wednesday. This was an info session at Pitt where new freshmen came out, people interested in the college group came out. I'm very thankful for the organization by Abby and the other cell leaders getting us together. And really a lot of volunteers came out on, was Tuesday the CMU one? I'm sorry to have missed that one, but that also turned out very well from what I understand. And this, I'm very thankful because this is one of the main ministries of our church is being able to reach college students, being able to impact with them um, what it means to know Christ have Christ change your life. I'm very thankful for that. And what Adam alluded to tonight with that dinner, uh, could be as many as 100 uh, people coming out tonight for that welcome night. And looking forward to more students coming to know and being introduced to who Christ is. Uh, an important thing that happened last Sunday where um, our family and some of the other families went was the wedding of Brian and Tiffany. They're at the end of the table here on the right. I don't know if you guys know Tiffany, but hopefully you know Brian, who is a part just like Kevin was part of the RISE group, who came, um, became part of our body here, and so many of you went to his wedding. This is very interesting because everyone in this picture had to fly to Texas, had to take off time either from work or other things that they were doing in order to spend time with Brian and Tiffany. And that's going to be a little bit of our thought process today. What it's like to be in a relationship, what it's like to be part of a family, 
what it's like to say, you know what, this is something that is special. And we know all of us have our physical families that God put together, but God also put you in a spiritual family. Bless you. A family here that is sovereignly ordained by the Lord too. Not just our physical families are ordained by the Lord, but also our spiritual families. And I'm encouraging you to think about that, that as you become a part of a church, hopefully here at PCC or whichever church God calls you to, that you, again, just don't sit and show up on Sundays, but you become an integral part, an intimate part of that family. And you want to celebrate with them. You want to rejoice with them. You want to be there with their highs, be with them with their lows. And that's a neat thing. So today at 5 o'clock, there's another marriage going on. Uh, I'm sorry, again, I still don't have a picture of Eva. So William, you have to go with our picture of Eva. But I told you that I was a ring bearer at his first wedding. I'm going to say it's about 45 years ago. I don't know if William can correct me or not. Is William here? He's busy gangwaying for his wedding. It was about 45 years ago. I think I was eight years old, and you guys don't believe me. Julie helped me find a picture. This is when <laughs> Julie said I used to be cute. That was me in about uh, third grade being a ring bearer, and it was terrifying for me because I had to dance with that girl, and I, and, I, and I never danced before. And it was so interesting because later in life, as I was running ACF and things, there was enough age difference that she actually became as a student in ACF, and, and she and I um, were in, in the college group together. Uh, what also comes around about is a former pastor of our church. His name is William Fung. He's in a wheelchair here. He'll be doing the ceremony. So it's kind of interesting. Over many time and places, God has brought us back together to have another wedding for William. And um, that pastor was our youth pastor during that time, and he's coming back to do the wedding. So I'm trying to introduce you into something that God has sovereignty over, that we can't plan, that we really can't put together, but somehow God says, you know what, you're called back together. And so we'll be together at that wedding day. I'm going to miss the welcome night tonight. I'm sorry about that. But to be at this wedding with these people again, only God could have ordained that. And I'm very thankful that we had a chance to enjoy that together. Or we're going to enjoy that together tonight. Which brings me to where we are today. Where we are today is another story that's unfolding before us. Another story about the story of Christ. And it's a difficult story because what we're trying to do is we're trying to have a relationship with someone who's invisible. Like, how do we have a relationship with someone that we can't see? How do we relate to a God that we can't touch? We really can't have a conversation with like we would with anyone else in this room. And John is going to do it in a way that is unique. John's gospel is so special. And we're going to unfold that a little bit today. I'd like to read to you about some of the preconceived notions that we might have. This is Kathleen Norris. One so often hears people say, I just can't handle it. When they reject a biblical image of God, God is Father, God is Lord, God is Judge, God is Lover, as angry, or God on a cross. I find this choice of words revealing. However real the pain they reflect, if we seek a God that we can handle, that will be exactly what we get. A God we can manipulate suspiciously like ourselves, the wideness of whose mercy we've cut down to size. So again, I think all of us have a preconceived notion of what God's like. He must be like this person. Or he must be like my father. He must be like my family. He must be something. But when we come to the Gospel of John, I'm going to ask you to kind of put those preconceived notions away. 
We're going to open up God's word together and we're going to discover together what does John have to say about God? How does John reveal God? And that's why I put these notebooks in your hands because each week when you come before this, you're going to open up and we're going to discover something about Christ. We're going to discover who Christ is, what he stands for, why he came. And as Pastor Adam just mentioned up here, this is one of my biggest regrets about Joshua. He spent a whole year going through Joshua, and you guys have all these bulletins you guys threw away they had great notes on. They're all gone. But these books that I put in your hands today, I want you to keep them. And every week you're going to come back to it and write and, 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 and see how God's word comes alive and reveals to you the person of Christ. Every week do that. I'm just warning you, we're only going to cover one verse this week, so don't use up all that page. On, we're only covering one verse. Next week, we're only going to cover three verses. And Pastor Adam's going to cover the middle verses of chapter one. But these books, I hope, is something by the end, I'm going to guess maybe two years, maybe three years before we get through all of John, it'll be something valuable to you. And I hope you keep on your shelf uh, for your life. Okay, why don't we stand together and read our first verse of John. Let's read together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Father, we had an opportunity to sing this morning that Christ, even before the beginning of time, was sitting on the throne. That Christ loved us so much, He became incarnate, the eternal God chooses to come to earth in order that we might know you, who you are, where your heart is, what compassions and mercies lie inside you. May we discover that as we study the book of John, as we begin anew our relationship with Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, you might be seated. So I'm going to spend the first few minutes introducing you to the Gospel of John. John is a very unique Gospel. Uh, unlike all the other Gospels, we have some of the Synoptic Gospels. John's not considered one of the Synoptic Gospels. There's things unique to John that only happen in John. Uh, the first miracle in John? First miracle overall? Water into wine. Christ goes to a wedding. You think, what would Christ celebrate? What would, Christ, would Christ be dancing? Christ would be having a great time with this thing. You know, Christ wanted the celebration to go on. So the very first thing he does is turn water into wine. When it's before his time, he's like, woman, why are you pulling me into this? Mom, why, why are you making me do this? Christ responds. And he says, you know what? I want this to go on. That's the thing unique to John, not in any other Gospels. Um, chapter 3, we go on about Nicodemus. It's the only one that tells about what it means to be born again. We're going to spend a long time studying what it means to be born again. Nicodemus. It's the only one that records Christ going through Samaria, sitting with this woman that not only had like four husbands or four people, had fifth one, and not even that one was her husband. That Christ spends time with someone from Samaria. You're not even supposed to talk to them, let alone a woman from that area. And then maybe the one that might reveal Christ's heart the most, the raising of Lazarus. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest verse? Jesus wept. Maybe the most profound verse in all the Bible tells us about Christ. And really the miracle that might have caused Christ's death, because they could not, the Pharisees could not deny the resurrection of Lazarus. They almost had to kill Christ after that. But this guy's walking around. We've got to get rid of this guy. We, it was so 
prominent of a miracle, it, it almost pushed the authorities to kill Christ. So these things are unique to John. None of the other Gospels record those things. And there's reasons why John records those. And as we go through John, we'll discover each one of these stories, these beautiful stories that reveal the heart of God, that tell us something specific about Christ. We're going to go through these as we go through John. You might study John before, and you know there's very unique statements inside John. I am the bread of life. That only occurs in John. You know there's seven of these. He that comes to me shall not hunger, and he that believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes to the Father but through me. There's no way to heaven but through Christ. I am the light of the world. I am the door for my sheep. I am the true vine. He who abides in me and I abide in him, he bears much fruit. Unique to John, the seven I am's, only in John. And as we go through John, again, we're going to discover each one of those I am's and why they're in there. So I told you before that the Gospels are basically synoptic. Basically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each have a different perspective on Christ. But they're basically similar. You read the three of them, and they have most of the same accounts, most of the same miracles. All of them start with either Christ's genealogy or something about uh, Joseph and Mary. John's the only gospel that says nothing about Joseph and Mary, no genealogy of Christ. He starts in a completely different way. But those three gospels all start the same and have a very unique perspective on it. But John, John is unique because John starts with Christ is God. And it's the whole purpose of John's book. I'm going to give you his thesis statement. His thesis statement comes all the way at the end of the book in John 20. John 20 says, And many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why did John write that? These are written. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord, the Anointed One, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing what? Believing that you might have life through his name. It's a very simple statement. I'm going to teach you that Jesus is God. And then secondly, if you understand that, how to have life through him. That's John's whole premise. And to keep that in mind as we study John from start to finish, you're going to understand that Jesus is, is God. And then secondly, we can have life through his name. Those two things uniquely related to each other. Okay, so that's kind of intro to John. We could do a lot more about John. Very unique gospel. But now we're going to get into what we just read this morning. And that's actually what we sang about this morning. Jackie always chooses songs pertinent to our message. In the beginning was the word. Remember we just sang that in the beginning was the word? He was on his throne. Even before the beginning of time, we just sang about that. In the beginning. Now, every Jewish person that read that would know where, where does that come from? In the beginning. Well, where is that? Genesis. Every Jewish person would know exactly what John's trying to do. He's correlating this to the Pentateuch. He's correlating this to Genesis. He's saying, in the beginning was something. In the beginning, there's nothing. It's only God. Ex nihilo, right? There's nothing out there. But John's saying, wait, wait, wait. There's something there. And I'm going to teach you about what's there. What's there is the Word. The Word was there in the beginning of time, before anything else. Christ was there. God was there. And it's important we don't miss that. The Word was with God. And here it is. The word was God. He hits you in the forehead, right? Bam, right? No, no Joseph and Mary, no going to um, 
you know, the Egypt, the census, and all these things in, in, in the stable. We, we don't get all that. We don't get the genealogy. He says, this is it. I'm going to hit you in the first verse. The word was God. This is it. And he's starting off just what his thesis said. I'm going to teach you that God is word. Now, when I go to ACF, um, we, I'm very old, and you guys help me by putting your name tag out, right? Every time you put it out for me, I, I know you guys all know each other's names. I don't know your names. So you guys have these name tags. And you put these name tags out, and at the end of night, some unlucky fellow ends up with all the name tags, right? You have this tradition of taking all your name tags and sticking it on some unlucky fellow. Now, what's interesting is, tonight, if welcome dinner, or welcome night, if Christ came to your welcome night, and you gave him a name tag, what would Christ write on his name tag? What do you write? He knew exactly who he was. We might not know his name, but he's saying, you know what? He'd write God on it. He'd write God on it. That's who he is. You're like, ooh, <laughs> that guy just wrote God in his name tag. So something's wrong here. It's not right. We know God can't be a human. God can't be someone we can talk to. God can't be someone that's walking on this earth with us. We know God in the beginning, that guy that spoke and the world began. That's the kind of what God we know. But he's saying something else. This is it. He's here. We can touch him. We can talk with him. You want to know what God's like? You look at this guy. This guy that wrote in a name tag. Prince of Peace. Anointed One. Lord. Messiah. God. That's the guy that John's trying to introduce us to. And it's completely different. That should really set your mind aside that, you know what? We, we think of God and he turns out here and he's saying, no, no, no. It's the guy walking, breathing, talking on the pages of John. That's our guy. And that's the guy we're going to study. Because he's God. So when we talk about this verse again, John uses a very specific word here. He uses, we don't really have this word. I'll get to it in a minute. You guys know what it is in Greek. But we don't really have an English equivalent word to what John uses for word. The beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. As I told you, he could have used a lot of words here. He could use, again, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the Lord, the Anointed One. He could use any of those words. But he chose this word to use. Very unique to John. Why would he choose to do that? Um, we kind of use the word today, like I was asking Jimmy earlier, um, Jimmy, what's the word? What's the weather? What's the word, Jimmy? What's the word? Or, or, is it going to get worse? Or what's the word, Jimmy? More rain. Okay, so Jimmy gave us the word. He told us it's going to be more rain today. Uh, that's the way we use word. And then I would say, word up. What does that mean? It's true. It's true, brother. I believe you. It's going to rain more. See, I say, you say, I ask the word, and I, and I say, word up. Right? So we use word a little bit differently. Um, is also, you know what? I give you my word. I give you my word. If I give you my word, what am I giving you? It's my promise. It's my essence. It's one and the same. I'm going to do it. If I gave you my word... And, and I give it to you, that's it. It's done. It, it, it's like my persona. It's like I'm standing behind it. It's my word. So that's how we use word. Now the Greeks use word a little bit differently. You guys know this word, remember? Logos. This is the word that John chose. Uh, in the beginning was logos. And a logos was with God. And a logos was God. It's a very interesting word to choose. Because the Greeks understood word in a whole different way than we do. Word to them it's kind of this reasoning and thought. It's kind of like this person word or their essence. K 
came out in Logos. When you talk about Logos, it's kind of this impersonal force that was around them. It's their Logos. We don't have an English word, and it's hard for us to describe. As many commentaries I read, no one could describe it well. The person that describes it well is George Lucas. And when he describes it, there's the force. You know, the force be with you. He gets the idea of word. When he describes in Star Wars about the dark side of the force and the good side of the force, this is what the Greeks understood. There's a good and a bad in Logos. There's this impersonal force in the universe between life and death, between good and evil. That's the way the Greeks understood it. And if you guys think Star Wars, you get it. You, you get the force. That's what he was thinking about. And it was kind of this reason or thought and this impersonal force in the universe that kind of determined the way things went. So all the Greeks that read this would say, okay, in the beginning was this impersonal force. This impersonal force was God. Impersonal force was God. But then John twists it on them. John twists the words logos, and he makes it a personal force. Matter of fact, he makes it a person, which, which the Greeks would never do. The Greeks would never assign logos to a person. That's not right. That, that's not the right... It's this big being out there. It's this big... It's almost what we would think is, is the force behind the Big Bang. You know, what started the universe? We, oh, you know what? It's the Big Bang. It's this big force that, that just kind of started the universe. We wouldn't say that's a person. We wouldn't say that's someone that we can live and touch and breathe and talk with. But that's the way John uses it. He says, this is it. I'm changing it. You know, you know that big impersonal thing out there? It's Christ. You know the thing that guides the universe and tells us between good and bad? That's Christ. You know the thing between how you determine what's good and what's bad? That's Christ. It, and John is completely twisting it around and saying, you know what? We get to know this force. We get to know this God. This, this force in the universe that you guys don't know and attribute to this, this nebulous thing. I'm going to call him Christ. I'm going to call him the anointed one. I'm going to call him Messiah. So John does something wonderful here. He gives a whole new meaning to Logos. We understand Logos is Christ. He says, you know what? It's the reason for the universe. It's what started the universe. It's what was there ex nihilo. And it's what I'm going to call here eternal word or eternal God. So this is the first aspect of Christ that we want to understand. Before the beginning of time, the guy who started the whole universe, the guy who decides what's right and what's wrong, who sets the rules of the universe, who gives us meaning and a kind of a guiding line for our lives, that's called the eternal word. It's out there. It's God. It's God. Through Christ. It's when the invisible becomes visible. It's putting all these things that we couldn't put a word on before. It's now Christ. Okay, so let's go back into the Hebrew mindset for a moment. In the Hebrew mindset, this is from Hebrews 1. What's it say here? It says, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke in the past under our fathers by the prophets. So all the times in the past, how did God speak? Every person in the Hebrew culture would understand, okay, God used to speak to the prophets. You know what that would be? Probably our first prophet we say is Moses. How did God speak to Moses? Burning bush. So God is holy. When we get near God, we've got to take off our shoes. When we get near God, we think, oh, it's bright. And it's something that says, you know what? He tells us, I am. And we're just like, oh, yeah, okay, I am. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. All right. So when God speaks to the prophets, we, we see them fall down in humbleness. You can't approach too close. Get off your dirty stuff. Follow the Lord. 
And that's right. That's exactly who God is. And Joshua, how did God speak to Joshua? Do you guys remember? At the very beginning of the campaign, Ray crosses the Jordan. He meets the captain of the Lord's army, the Lord's guard. And, and Joshua's like, hey, are you on my side or are you on the enemy's side? And in Christ, what we decided was Christ. Christ's incarnation here said immediately, no, no, no. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. You are on my side. Let's get it right. Let's get it right here. You know what? It's not about fighting for you or fighting for them. We're on God's side. And God gets it clearly at the beginning. And Joshua's like, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. We're on the Lord's side. You are our true captain. I'm leading your armies. I'm going to lead this um, conquering through Israel. But you know what? We bow down before the Lord. So if you get this, and there's many more through the Old Testament we won't have a chance to go through, but if you understand the Hebrew mindset, what are they expecting next? We get the burning bush, we get the captain of the guard, we get these incredible pictures of God to the Old Testament. What would the Hebrews expect next? And, and as we look through it here, it's not this. But in the last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the worlds. So even if they got it, even if they got that Christ is coming again, my suspicion is they expect this. You know, we're under Roman oppression. This is a really bad time for us. What we need is what? Yeah, we need a conqueror. Yes, we need someone to knock out these Romans. We're going to knock out the world. We're going to take over. He's going to come in on a white horse, and he's going to come with his angels and his armies, and that's it. And that's what they were expecting. That's what the Hebrews wanted. And that's why when they say, hey, wait, 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 you're telling me that in these last days he's coming to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, whom he made the worlds. They're expecting this, an incredible thing. And I'm telling you, as we get ready for communion, it's coming. We've got to look forward to this. It's something we never forget. Christ is coming that way soon. And we live our lives in expectation of that. It's not quite here yet. And it's what they're expecting. And I think they're right. Sitting in their shoes, I would think the same thing. That next time Christ comes and when Messiah comes again, it's going to be great and it's wonderful. It's take over the world. That's what we want. Absolutely. And so they're very surprised and incredulous. And like, you? Your name tag? You're God? You're El Shaddai? No, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't register with me. That doesn't seem right. So one of the low points I feel in John is when Christ is speaking to Philip. This is, happens in chapter 14. One of the low points there is Philip, trying to be a good guy here, says, Lord, show us the Father and satisfy. Now, this is chapter 14. He's been feeding the 5,000. He's seen walking on water. He's seen all kinds of great things. But here at this point, he says, you know, Christ, um, if you're pretty good, I'd really like this if you just show us God. If you just show us God, I'd be okay right now. And you think, man, it's tough, right? And so Christ replies to him, have I been with you such a long time, and yet you don't, you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How can you show, you show us the Father? Don't you get it, Philip? All these years, these three years I've been with you, every time you've seen me eat, talk, breathe, interact, you've been seeing God. What would God do when he meets the prostitute? What would God do when he can't, when there's 5,000 people that need to be fed? What would God do when he meets a blind person? And Christ's saying, you know what? You've seen it already. You know exactly how God would react. You know what God would say. You know how God would do it because you watched me do it. If you've seen me, 
you've seen God. Phil's like, oh, I hope he gets it at that point. And this is the second thing I want to teach you today. It's the incarnate word. It teaches us that Christ became flesh. He became a living, breathing person, this eternal God, the guy that created the universe, the eternal God, the eternal word is now flesh. He's the one that walks and talks among us. And I see some freshmen among us today. He's talking to you. You guys are full of hope and enthusiasm. You guys are all bubbly. You're ready to go. Christ is here with you. I see some of us who are discouraged. There's sin in our life. It's very prevalent. We're losing the battle. Christ is here, saying, I'm going to walk right here beside you. Some of us are getting married today, getting married last week. Some of us are undergoing difficulty in our relationships, have separation. Christ is saying, I'm right here with you. I'm going to be here with you. That nothing will separate us from God, that the eternal God of the universe, the God that created the universe, that God has done everything possible for us to walk with him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about walking in the garden. He's saying, now I'm with you and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's the Christ we're talking about there. So here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and that Word was with God, and that Word was God. Everything that's true about the Father is true about the Son. Christ embodies all the wisdom, the glory, the truth, the holiness, and the love of the Father. In Christ, God is revealed. So that's our premise today. That's what we need to think about today. When you see Christ, everything he does in John, you're going to see God. Just have a few minutes, I want to read you a story about Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a survivor of a German concentration camp. And he writes about some of his thoughts as he is going through the tortures of the prison camp. Actually, he turned out to be a famous therapist later um, and helped many others through their difficulties. Uh, We stumbled on in the darkness, over big stones, through large puddles, along one road leading from the camp. The accompanying guards kept shouting us, shouting at us and driving us with the butts of their rifles. Hardly a word was spoken. The icy wind did not encourage talk. The man marching next to me whispered quietly, if our wives could see us now, I hope they're doing better in their camps and I hope they don't know what's happening to us. That brought thoughts of my own wife to mind. As we stumbled on for miles, slipping on icy spots, supporting each other again and again, each of us was thinking of his wife. But my mind clung to my wife's image, imagining it in an uncanny acuteness. Real or not, her look was more luminous than the sun which was beginning to rise. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw truth as it set into song by so many poets. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. That salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who had nothing left in this world might still find bliss in the contemplation of his beloved. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words that angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. I don't know if that story hit you like my, it hit me, that we can love no matter what our circumstance and that someone loved us with the 
infinite glory and infinite love. And the angels are worshiping already. They're ahead of us. They're at the throne already. They're at the banquet feast already, which we're going to celebrate in a few moments. They're already there. And we think of Christ. He's the way, the only way, the resurrection for us to enjoy that same contemplation of the um, infinite glory that only Christ has. Okay, let's close in a word of prayer.